Let me invite you to a text tonight that is very familiar. It's 1 John chapter number 5. 1 John chapter number 5. There's a wonderful verse of, or two there that I'd like to highlight just quickly tonight. And I'd like to give you some things, uh, continuing with our theme for the day on the subject of prayer. I'd like to give you just a few things that can be a hindrance to receiving positive answers to our prayer requests from the Lord. And so I want to begin with a very affirming statement in 1 John chapter 5. And let's begin looking in verse number 14. I'm sorry, verse number 13. <clears throat> These verses should be familiar. The Bible says there, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. Those are familiar verses, are they not? Very familiar verses. And I'd like to encourage you tonight in the, on the topic of prayer further. And I've entitled this evening's message, So the Lord Said No. So the Lord Said No. The Lord answers prayer, doesn't He? He always does. He answers yes sometimes. All of us are familiar with that. Where the Lord answered our prayer request, yes. That's good for you. This is the right time for you to have that. I want you to have that. That's a part of my will for you. So we're familiar with yes answers from the Lord. The Lord also sometimes says wait. In other words, the timing is just not quite right. Something needs to be restaged in God's plan or restaged in our own experience. Something needs to be developed further in God's plan. And so God says, okay, wait, it's coming. A yes answer is on the way, but mm, not just yet. So some of us have experienced that. We can identify with that. Sometimes God says no. And those are the most disturbing kind of answers from God, aren't they? Uh, all of us can recall being young people and coming to our parents and asking for stuff, right? And when it was good for us, the parents were so forward-leaning and saying things like, yes, you can have that. Here it is, right? When it was not good for us, parents had no problem, good parents, that is, had no problem saying, no, that's not good for you. That's not a part of what I wanted for you. Uh, we're not doing that. That's not happening. You can't have that, right? It's just a part of good parenting, right? Children don't always understand that. Children don't always appreciate being told, no, as, adult, we don't as adults, we don't change much, do we? We don't handle no too well either. And so we have to, though, trust the wisdom of God as His children. We have to trust His love towards us. Uh, we have to trust His timing in all things. We embrace His plan above all else. We don't want our way anyway. We want His way above all else. His will be done is our sincerest desire. And so there are times when God says no, and those times can be great educational moments for us, great opportunities for growth and development with regards to our prayer lives in particular. How many of you know that you can learn from mistakes? Yeah, we can. Now, we don't intentionally make mistakes trying to learn from them, no. 
But in our efforts to do right, we sometimes do a few things amiss or wrong or incorrectly or inadequately. And as a result of it, we need to tweak and adjust some things slightly ever so much. But adjustments are necessary. And as we make those adjustments and changes, we reorient ourselves properly in the Lord's plan and will for us. And now the Lord is free to give that thing which we've requested. Sometimes the Lord uses wait answers and no answers to help us examine things in our fellowship with regards to him and when we make such examinations very intentionally very purposefully we can discover some things we need to adjust just a little bit now we're not talking tonight about high-handed sin amen if i regard iniquity in my heart the lord is certainly not willing to hear my prayer requests right but there are times when we are ignorant of what God requires in some areas. We're making mistakes inadvertently, and those mistakes are influencing our ability to get yes answers from God. We want to know about those, amen? No one cherishes ignorance. No, not as the people of God. We want to know what God requires, orient ourselves with Him, align our wills with His will, Therefore, seeing his will advance through our prayer lives. Wouldn't it be wonderful to see God's plan marching forward through answers to our prayers? Wouldn't that be exciting? Amen. I believe God designed the Christian experience in part with that in mind. Now, I'd like to pray and I'd like to re reference this passage and then give you just two things tonight, just two that are real hindrances to our prayer lives. And when we make the adjustments, when we reorient ourselves to God's plan accordingly, we will begin to see more positive responses for God, from God if indeed it is in accordance with His precious will. But let's go to the throne of grace first. Our Father God, we thank You so much for the precious blessing that is ours to be in Your house at this time. Thank you for your precious people. Thank you for the work that's transpiring throughout the building this evening and those workers who are laboring, uh, meeting the needs and the lives of our young people. We bless you and praise you for their service and ask that you would meet with them in a special way. And while you're passing out blessings, please don't pass us by. Meet with us here, dear Father. We need you. We trust that you will meet the needs in our hearts and lives strengthen our faith in you strengthen our prayer lives through this message i pray in jesus precious name amen and amen so the lord said no sometimes he does say no in first john 5 it is obvious john has been laboring in this dear book to bring believers into a right perception of what it means to be in fellowship with God and to be in relationship with God as the sons of God. As you move through this book, you'll find that there are tests of fellowship. We can examine ourselves by the criteria God gives here to know whether or not we're in fellowship. If you read 1 John chapter number 1, it's all laid out there, amen? You can't miss it. Simple test to help us see whether or not we're in fellowship with the Lord. And then we also find that John helps us examine and scrutinize and reassures us that we are indeed sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, right? 
And so we find then that John encourages much. In this passage, John tells us, I've written these things to you who believe on the name of the Son of God, that your faith, your faith in God and in Christ might be confirmed and strengthened and reinforced and fortified. And he says in verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Encouraging, isn't that? Uh, to know that God hears us when we cry out to Him. Or when the hot tears run down our cheeks and we're crying out to God in the late night, midnight, early morning hours, it's comforting to know that we've been heard by Him. And when we're in fellowship with Him, in right relationship with Him, walking in His plan, walking in His will, and we make such utterances and such petitions, we can know that we have the things that we desire of Him. That's an incredible statement to me. As long as, watch the qualifying statement, it's a part of His plan, His will. God has a plan. How many of you knew that God was a planner? God's not haphazard about anything. He is an excellent project planner. He's great at rebounding projects that are derailed. Uh, the whole earth and the sin thing. Redemption is the word we call it. <laughs> yeah, he's an excellent and extraordinary planner. And he has a plan with your name on it. No surprise to this group, right? Yep, when God saved you, God has a plan for you. God has a will that he wants you to know and understand. God doesn't keep his will from us as a big secret that we have to somehow find. No, Often he just spells it out and tells us exactly what he means, amen, and what he wants for us. If you run into a New Testament command, that's God saying, this is my will for you. Any command, any prescription in the New Testament for New Testament believers is God's will, God's plan for you and me, correct? We don't have to guess. It's not hard to figure out, right? And in God's will and plan, you and I must become the people, the children of God, who embrace that plan to such a degree that the sincere utterance of our heart is, not my will be done, but thine be done, right? The Lord Jesus modeled that in the Garden of Gethsemane where he made it exceedingly clear that the most, the most important thing to him, even for the sacrifice of his own life for the sin of the world, was to see that the Father's will was fully executed. That's the Lord Jesus. That's our model, our example. It's a little discomforting sometimes to think in those terms, isn't it? But it's necessary to think that way, that the will and plan and purpose of God is always most important and paramount. And so John gives us one insight into knowing how to have our prayers heard of God and then answered in a positive way. God says yes sometimes to our requests. Okay, Brother McCray, that's established, but... What about those times when he says no? Yeah, that's where we want to labor tonight. There are times when he says no. Out of love, out of mercy, out of grace, out of wisdom, God sometimes says no to his people. We don't like the answer of no, but it can be a teachable moment for us if we'll use it that way. 
It can be a learning opportunity for us if we'll use it that way. When I was in high school, I was pretty good in some math subjects. Geometry was among them. And I remember a couple of times having a test and, you know, did my little thing on there in geometry and whip, whip, whip and turned it in and I'm done kind of sitting around rather um, arrogantly looking over the class and seeing, oh, I'm among the first ones to be done. Why are you all so slow? You know, oh, it's awful. And so eventually everyone got their papers turned in. I'm bored thoroughly by now. And the teacher's sitting there grading papers, and I can just watch her going through it. And of course, when she graded mine, there's not much to consider. You understand, right? Then she returned the papers to us, and I looked at mine, examining it carefully, and I noticed one was wrong. I missed a question. I didn't put the right answer. Surely this teacher needs to be brought into a proper perspective of what the right answer is. So I just need to straighten her out real quick and everything would be all right and we can continue with the class, right? So I'm waiting during the review session to correct my teacher. And she goes through it on the chalkboard. She deals with all of the questions that were most commonly missed, right? And she goes through them one after another and she got to the one I missed. And sure enough, preacher, I forgot a theorem. I didn't apply it and I missed it legitimately, missed it. But you know, I studied it, I looked at it again, and I never made that mistake again. We can learn from our mistakes, amen? And when we're sensing in our prayer lives that God is saying no, we're asking God saying no, we're asking God is saying no, it's time now to examine a few things with regards to our prayer life to make sure that we can make some adjustments, make some tweaks, reorient ourselves so that we can get that final positive answer, right? We can learn something. Let me give you some things that we can, some areas that we can examine real quick. The first one is... Sometimes God says no because our relationships are not right before Him. How many of you know tonight that God is big on relationships? If you haven't figured it out yet, yeah, He is. Uh, God is a relational person. The Father is relational, the Son is, and so is the Spirit of God. The Father has always enjoyed the company of the Spirit and the Son, and the Son has always enjoyed the company of the Spirit and the, and the Father, and the, and the Spirit has always enjoyed the company of the Father and the Son. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are tremendously relational persons, one being. I marvel at that kind of idea. It's remarkable that God is a relational being. But as we understand that, we find also that God created humanity, that He might interact with His creation in an intelligent way, in a spiritual way, and thus man and woman were created, right? And God also brought them together, named them man and woman, and brought them together, named them husband and wife, and a relationship was established, a human-to-human -human relationship. You see, part, at least part of the idea of God creating us in His image was to barely, literally enter into relationship with Him and with each other. It is a normal expression for human beings to share relationship. 
Oh, I know some of us might be shy and that kind of thing. I got that. And some of us may be extraordinarily outgoing, but all of us, to some degree, are created with some capacity to relate to other human beings and certainly to God upon faith in Jesus Christ. You would agree with that. And so when it comes to the Christian faith, God saves us. He gets us baptized and he brings us into what? A church for to explore and develop relationships because we do far better in relationship. It's not good for man to be alone, right? And so we understand then, beloved, that God is this incredible relational being who pursues relationship with his creation, humanity in particular, and he wants humanity, uh, fellow human beings to explore and develop relationships that are healthy one with another. God values relationships. Yep, that's how he is. That's how he, uh, in the hood, they would say that's how God rolls. Yeah, that's just how he is. It's a part of his nature, and he prescribes it rightly to the benefit of his people. But when our relationships are not right, it poses a difficulty in our prayer lives. You see, we who bear the image of God are deserving of certain levels of respect because of that very reality. How many of you understand what I'm, what I'm saying here? If we worship our God as the true and living God because he's worthy of such worship, if we adore him as the true and living God because he's worthy and deservant of that, then certainly those who bear his image are deservant of a certain modicum of respect. It stands the reason we are image bearers. Amen? And so, beloved, we must, then watch it, we must look at each other as fellow bearers of the image of God and look for and build and strengthen relationships one with another. And when those relationships are not quite right, God's not quite right with us. And we're not quite right with him. You say, Brother McCray, you're doing a lot of talking. Where is all of that in the word of God? I'm glad you asked. See, you guys still ask the best questions. I'm reminded of a passage in Matthew chapter number 5. Again, the Lord Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar. Go thy way, first be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Those are familiar words to us all, are they not? The Lord Jesus was giving incredible insight and counsel as to how you and I should value relationships. Even when we're trying to worship and we're reminded that there's someone who has something against us, we're to leave our sacrifice, our offering at the altar. Go find that brother or sister, make things right, and then return to the altar and make our sacrifice, correct? Now, I don't know exactly where Jesus was when he made this statement, but I don't believe he was in Jerusalem. The Sermon on the Mount was not preached in Jerusalem. I know that much, right? But uh, so we could suggest in a few things as Jesus spoke to this audience that was before him. 
He was literally saying, beloved, that when you go down to Jerusalem to make your offering, to make your sacrifice, and you discover that there's something between you and your brother, leave it there. Travel maybe 30 miles, maybe 40 miles, maybe 50 miles to wherever that person is and make it right and then return 30, 40, or 50 miles and then make your sacrifice. You think this is important to God? I'm impressed that way. You see, rifts between believers is something that bothers the Father. When there's disconnect between the people of God, God's not happy with His children in flux and in conflict among themselves. Before He is receptive of our worship, He requires that we make things right with our brother or sister. God values relationships. God values people. And anyone close to His heart does so likewise. Jesus prescribes it here in this text. Jesus goes on to say that you should be quick about reconciling those broken relationships. Agree with thine adversary quickly, he says, right? In other words, don't allow the rift to last for years and years and years and years. Fix it as soon as you possibly can. Address it. Jesus is literally suggesting that God's people should have and must have some skills surrounding reconciliation and making peace. In other words, as a believer, I cannot afford to allow my pride or my sense of self-sufficiency or my independence or I don't need nobody attitudes to interfere with my humility before God to address such matters so that they are right before God. Because no matter how much I sing, oh, how I love Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus, Father in heaven is saying, oh, no, you don't because you haven't fixed the rift. It's important to him, therefore it's important to us. And God says, do it quickly. That means my communication skills must graduate from here up to here, amen? Amen. I must develop the ability to convey exactly, precisely, and honestly what's happening in the offense with, from my perspective. My listening skills must go from here up to here. Are you following me? I must be able to hear what the other individual is saying and gather their perspective. I must listen so intently that I understand their view. I don't listen merely for the purpose so that I can give my response. No, I'm listening to understand. I'm very intentionally listening to understand. My listening should move from the place of merely understanding to gathering and developing empathy towards that individual. All the way to the extent that I feel it the way they say it. I understand it the way they say it. I've got it. I know what the offense is from their perspective. And once I've heard them, I've won the opportunity to tell them my side of the story. I'm suggesting, beloved, that merely pretending that we can just go to a brother or go to a sister and voila, everything's happy again is not reality. 
How many of you know that it's nasty, it's yucky, and it takes God-given, Holy Spirit-wrought skill in the soul of the child of God and in the hands of the child of God to bring about peace when there is a conflict? Amen. Everybody all right? I can recall a time when I was pastoring in Germany, missionary pastor in Germany. Family came to us and they said, you know, we want to talk, preacher. Can we talk to you on such and such days? I said, sure, yeah, we'll meet in my office and we'll talk about it. And they began to talk when they came. And there was an 18-year and standing rift between two brothers. One was in that room with me that day. For 18 years, something came up in the family's life and it caused those two brothers to be divided. And the concern for them was now that rift between the two brothers was now be creating a rift in the families and their girls were not close to their bro his brother's family. They didn't even want anything to do with them. And this, of course, was a burden unto the father and the mother to see their girls so gravely impacted by a rift between two brothers. But for 18 years, the rift exists, existed. Oh, my counsel was real simple. It's not, there's nothing extraordinary that comes out of the counseling room of William McCray. I open up the Bible. The Bible says, forgive, do it, make it right, work through it, make it happen. He looked at me. He says, boy, the last thing I thought you would say was that. But that's it. Not only do we need communication skills and listening skills, but we need the skill to forgive. Amen? How many of you know that people are porcupines like porcupines in Alaska? <laughs> you're both cold, and you both need the warmth that can come from each other, but every time you get close, you prick each other. <laughs> you hurt each other. I mean, in life, you just got to learn how to figure out how to get close to each other without killing each other, right? <laughs> so you both can enjoy the benefit of the warmth. Amen? There, there's an element of selflessness and humility and submission to the purpose and plan of God there. And if we're crying out to the Father, God, I need this. God, my children need that. God, our family need this. And God, I'm looking to you for this. My job, I'm challenging this way, and I need your help with this, and I need your help with that. And the whole time God is saying, I want to do all those things, my child. But remember this little conflict over here? You need to fix that first. Then I can help you. I'd be glad to help. But you need to address this. Amen? Jesus said to agree with that adversary quickly. We need to develop some skills surrounding ex executing that. And so there are many things, others, that we can say, but we must be challenged in this regard, beloved, to examine our relationships with others when God, when we sense that God is saying no to our prayer requests. Can I give you another one in the same vein? Would that be all right? Y'all okay with that? This means yes. Very good. Very good, class. Very good. So number two, then, examine your relationship with your spouse. Examine your relationship with your spouse. Because if that relationship is not quite right, it could be a hindrance to getting positive answers to our prayers. 
You see, marriage is an institution of God, right? It was his idea. And he put the first couple together. And so marriage is important to him, isn't it? And we come to Scripture, we find there are several passages that help us and give us some perspective as to how God feels about this. One that stands out among them is this passage in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 7. It says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Hmm. <laughs> God talks about this kind of interaction and regard of a husband towards a wife and that when this kind of interaction and balance and mutual respect does not exist in the marriage, it is potentially a hindrance to them getting positive answers to their prayers. How many of you saw that in your Bible? Did you see it there? Did I make it up? No, we don't have any habits of making stuff up, right? There are several things that God prescribes for wives in verses 1 through 6 in 1 Peter 3. But in verse number 7, he takes and puts his crosshairs right on the husband, right? And he says, hubbies, I want you to dwell with them according to knowledge. Mm, I thought to myself, well, I've been married to my wife 31 plus years. I think I know her by now, Lord. But every now and then, she still surprises me. And she's indicated to me that mm, I do that with her, too. Yeah, still discovering things. Been together for 30-some years, and we're still discovering things about each other. But God says, dwell with them according to knowledge. That's what he tells us husbands. That's good advice. That's good counsel. That's authoritative Ladies, do you cherish being known by your husband? One little voice in the wind. Can I get another? <laughs> do you cherish that? Because see, if he knows you, there's a certain, there's a certain modicum of, of, of sensitivity and sensibility and concern and interest and provision and protection that comes with that. It creates a climate that makes you as a wife feel more safe. The Bible even tells us in this same text, it says this, watch this. Um, let's see if I can find it. And ye husband dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. There's a certain knowledge we have of our wives with regards to her vulnerabilities, with regards to weaknesses, with regards to areas where she is more susceptible to hurt or to pain. And God says, husband, I need you to live with her in a way that understands that. Then he tells us to give honor to the wife. I thought that was my place, that I was to get the honor. I mean, respect and honor belongs to the man. Not exclusively, right? There's a mutual honoring of each other. In this instance, God says, treasure your wife like a unique vase. For those of us from the South, that's vase, right? Take her and put her in a place where she's safe. 
and protected in the realm of your love and understanding of her. God says when you do that, your prayers will not be hindered. It clears the freeway to receive an answer from heaven. Amen? Are you hearing me? I'm saying, beloved, that when things aren't right between hubby and snookums, God says, I can't answer your prayers. Because, see, you're one. Man and wife, you're one. And I can't be blessed in one that leaves out the other. And I need you to be united. I need you to be in harmony. I need you to be together. Because then you can participate in the grace of life. How many of you know that many blessings and privileges come into a family because the relationship between the husband and wife is healthy? The children have incredible security because mom and dad, they know mom and dad genuinely love each other, cherish each other, respect each other, seek each other's advantage. They're not in competition. Amen? You see, God says our prayers can be hindered if this is not true. You know, when I discover that God has all this incredible respect for relationships, you know, I begin to treat her differently. I had to. I mean, I get in trouble a lot, you understand? And as a person who gets in trouble a lot, I need God a lot. <laughs> You understand? I mean, I'm, I'm driving 495 all the time. It's easy to get in trouble on 495. You get it? I can't afford to be out of sorts with the Lord. And so it influences how I treat her because I know I can't get in touch with God at a moment's notice if things aren't right with her. I can't beat her up. I can't abuse her with my words. I can't speak ill of her. I can't disregard her. I can't disrespect her and get away with it. God will hold me accountable. Amen. And wives, I'm going to stretch this just a little bit. This passage is to men in particular, verse number 7 in 1 Peter 3. But can you imagine being disrespectful and disloyal to your husband, unloving towards your husband, and God saying, oh yeah, you can get anything you want. How's that working for you, right? It doesn't work. The principle applies in both regards. But together, you can receive the grace of life, the manifold blessings of God that he affords a family because of his intimate involvement in a husband and wife's relationship. Wow. You know, upon discovering that, you start tweaking things. You make adjustments. I mean, I'm not in mad sin, but I can make a few adjustments right here and, and get more positive answers from God. After all, I kind of need him, right? Amen. And so we make the adjustments. Sometimes, beloved, God says no because our relationships are not right before him. Listen to his counsel in Ephesians 4 and verse number 30. It says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind 
one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. That sounds Christian, doesn't it? It is, beloved. Sometimes God says no because our relationships are not right before him. There's a second reason, and it's the last one I'll give you. Sometimes God says no because our motives are selfish. Now, you and I know that as human beings, we're saved by the grace of God, right? Those of us who are saved tonight, we know it. Been saved, born again, you know when, the, you, know when you got saved, right? You may not remember the exact date, but you remember one day you wasn't, and the next day you are because you met Jesus Christ and trusted him in a, with a repentant heart, right? You, you remember that, right? Born again, a child of God, hell-proof, heaven-bound. Yes, that's me. Amen. Yeah. Saved individuals. And as such, we still, though, have, not only, watch it, we have now the new nature, but we still have the old nature. Mm-hmm. Still a part of us, right? How many of you know that we still sin? This hand's up, that hand's up, that foot's up. I would put both feet up, but that would be quite a feat. <laughs> Moving on. <clears throat> James 4, 3 says, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. James suggests, then, beloved, that if our prayers are focused on ourselves, on our pleasures, on what we want, and they're self-serving primarily, that God is not inclined to answer such prayers in the affirmative. The answer will be no in such instances. You see, for one, it's God's will that we want done above everything else, not our own. It's God's pleasure and glory that we seek through answers in our prayers, not our own. Amen? You see, it, 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 it negates this idea uh, that uh, it's all about me. Being Christian means we give up such thinking. It's not all about me. It's about Christ. And those he gives me opportunity to serve. The Christian is a servant, and we're to be servants par excellence. You look at all the apostles who wrote in the New Testament, they describe themselves repeatedly as servants of Jesus Christ. The word servant literally means they were slaves, low order slaves. They viewed that as a tremendous honor to be in service and to exist for the service of Jesus Christ in the lives of others. They lived for that, not for themselves. The Lord Jesus is the epitome of a servant. Remember, he's the one that with knowing that he was going to die real soon on a rugged cross, took up a towel and bathed his disciples' feet. What would you do if you knew you're going to die soon? Is it serve somebody else? There's our Savior. Look at him, amen, in all his glory, all his wonder, all his splendor. That's our model, beloved. And so the idea that we can be self-absorbed and self-centered and self-focused doesn't work as Christians. It, it doesn't fit the narrative. It's hard to preach the gospel that way. <laughs> That's another gospel, right? And so, beloved, we find then that James says to us, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lust. 
Oh, how we must guard against selfish motives as we pray and trust God. No, our supreme concern is that His will be done on earth as it is in heaven, correct? We're not so arrogant and not so self-centered that we want it our way regardless. That's how a brat behaves, right? You've seen them, right? How many of you remember the Walmart kid? You know, the Walmart kid, mom and dad and the kid are making their way down through Walmart and they're doing their shopping and picking up the things that they need and the kid keeps grabbing stuff and putting it in the basket and mom says, no, son, we're not buying that. Put it back. A little bit further down the row, it's put it back. A little bit further down the row, he grabs something else, put it back. And after all those put it backs, the kid gets a little frustrated and in his, in, in his exasperation, he falls out in the aisle kicking and screaming, hoping that the temper tantrum will get, he what, get him what he wants. Remember the Walmart kid? You've seen it, right? Says, Brother McCray, that's a little too close to home. Can you move on? <laughs> ah, I've heard parents in exasperation say, I don't know what to do with this kid. I've often thought to myself in response, I didn't say it, oh, I know what to do. I sure do. Help him, encourage him. <laughs> yeah. No, we don't want to be brats before the Lord who want what we want regardless. As if our wisdom is superior and we know better than God. No, we don't want that. And isn't there something about prayer that's called, let's see, what's the word God used in Scripture sometime? Oh, intercession. That's the word. Ah, yes. We're to pray one for another. Mm -hmm. We're to intercede. You see, there's something about prayer that can knit hearts and souls and believers together. You know, some of the greatest encouragements I still receive to this day is someone writing me a note or sending me a text message and saying, I'm praying for you, brother. Man, I don't know about you, but when you say amen to a preacher, it encourages him to keep preaching, right? But when you say, I'm praying for you, oh, my soul, it's like you're ready to charge hell with a squirt gun. I mean, really. You see, the design of the Christian life is that we do have interests that are our own, that are, are of ourselves, And we're to bring our own needs before the Lord, but not to the neglect of bringing the needs of our brothers and sisters before the Lord. We're to pray for others. And that creates a bond and an energy and a, and, and a, and, and a kind of unity within the heart of a fellowship that is so very healthy. I heard a statistic on the radio the other day, a Christian radio station, and it was saying something like this, and I'm trying to remember the exact language. It said 98% of couples who regularly pray together, their marriages last, they do not end in divorce. Yeah, that's what it was. That's what it was. 98% of couples who regularly pray together, that is every day, watch it now, their marriages have a tendency to only end in divorce about 2% of the time. 
Because when you pray together as a couple, you get to hear your mate's heart. You get to hear what they're crying out to God on your behalf for. It's an opportunity to be selfless. It's an opportunity to let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant was made in the likeness of men. Amen. It's an opportunity to look not on my own things, but also on the things of others. Amen. But when we're focused only on ourselves, we can become some pretty miserable creatures. Some of the depression that plagues God's people is because we focus too much on ourselves. Nothing good comes out of selfishness then, right? So let's just junk it, right? I mean, and just, let's just take it out to the curb Put it on the curb and leave it there. Amen? In Germany, there was a practice that um, my wife and I participated in. Um, because of the tax situation over there, Germans would not keep items in their homes that they couldn't, didn't really need. They would take them and put them on the curb, and the junk people would come through and collect all those items and take them to a place to properly dispose upon, dispose them, uh, dispose of them. And so you could find sometimes some pretty nice stuff on the curb. As a matter of fact, we furnished our home from stuff the Germans put on the curb. <laughs> I am not exaggerating at all. We did. You just had to go to the right neighborhoods <laughs> in the right part of town. You did. But they would take it and put it on the curb. They would abandon it there. And the junk man would come along and collect it. Let's take selfishness and put it on the curb. It's junk for a Christian. Amen. There is no room, no place in our lives for us. It is only going to cost you to hold on to it. Junk it. Amen? Listen, our kids need selfless moms and dads. Our spouses need selfless husbands or wives. Our church family needs selfless church members. Our culture desperately need people who are not so consumed with themselves. It seems social media has taken it to a new level. And we've become extremely self-centered and self-absorbed. I mean, we say things like this to each other. You can have that because you deserve it. Boy, the, the mentality of entitlement drives me wild sometimes. Boy, did we overlook the graciousness of God, the generosity of God, somewhere along the line here? But see, selfishness and self-centeredness, it breeds that kind of thinking that we deserve it all. It's a common message out in society. But we as Christians, we recognize that we're saved by the grace of God. And every good that comes to us comes down from the Father of lights. Amen? Everything good that comes to us comes down from the Father. Therefore, we are grateful. Not self-absorbed and not entitled. Amen. But we must cultivate this.
So I gave you two things tonight. I told you I was going to make it short. I'm working on it, I promise. Two things that are possible hindrances to our prayer lives. We all treasure and want positive answers from God. We want to hear a yes from God when we pray. We know that when we pray in His will, He hears us, and that He will indeed give us the things that we desire of Him, if it's consistent with His will. But sometimes God says no. And when we use tonight's message to kind of examine our relationships, it'll help us adjust a few things, and as a result of it, we're now postured to more likely get positive or yes answers from God to our requests. Yeah. If we consciously choose to be less self-absorbed in what we ask God for and become the intercessor who's concerned about the welfare and interest of others in Jesus Christ, then God says, that's the right kind of heart. I can bless that selfless heart. It reminds me of my son, Jesus. Amen? Do you see it? Well, to keep my word, I need to sit down and shut up. You know, my burden's lifted. I love it on Sunday evenings when I've preached and my burden's gone. It's gone. Man, light as a feather right now, right? I mean, not literally, but you, you get the point. Let's examine our relationships with others. Let, let's examine our relationship with our spouse, the precious person God gave us to share life with. Let's examine that. Let's examine our motives as we ask things of God. Is it, is it for me? Is it for my pleasure? Is it for my gain? Does the majority of my prayer time focus on me? Or does the majority of my prayer time focus on the needs of others? It is okay to ask for the things you need, not discouraging that. But let's broaden our hearts a little bit and include a few brothers and sisters who need your prayers and build relationships with each other through prayer. Amen?